This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Good afternoon. I'm Jim Goodis. It's been a volatile time in the labor market with millions of people quitting their jobs in June alone. We'll cover the best way to exit gracefully in our next segment. Right now, the report on orders for durable goods tops today's data. And we're joined by Bob Bruska, the chief economist of Fact and Opinion Economics out of New York. So, Bob, what do the durable goods numbers tell you? It was a slight uh, step back uh, in the July numbers. Um, We've been looking for a decline bigger than this, so it's actually a slightly better report than expected. Um, You know, you're coming off of, uh, you know, strong gains in orders the previous two months. Shipments this month were strong. They were up 2.2%, actually being up 1.6% the month before. So, um, and the monthly data bounced around a little bit. This seems to be uh, still a fairly solid report. Uh, the capital goods segment was a little bit more neutral this month, but um, I'd say it's a good report for the economy despite the negative headline. So how does this fit into the other numbers we've been seeing and other indicators in terms of how the economy is doing right now and what we might expect going forward? Right, well, Turbo Goods is a, uh, it's a forward-looking series, right? These are about orders. Uh, shipments are obviously contemporaneous. We have data here also on unfilled orders. They went up, and so that tells you the order books are still growing, and so the firms still have more business on their books to do in the period ahead. Uh, but we also know that we've had um, supply chain issues, and that, for example, inventories have tended to be very lean. Firms have had a hard time building inventories because they just can't get product in, and people have been spending it, have been spending money. You know, during the uh, uh, during the virus. Uh, people were given money to keep their spending going, but a lot of the supply stuff was shut down. And that's what happens when you keep people spending and you're not creating output, you create shortages. And uh, of course, internationally, we had the same issue. There are global supply chain issues, and we're still trying to catch up on those. So, um, you know, when you can't deliver product and when you've got strong demand, what happens is you start to ration it. How do you ration it? Well, with price, you make it more expensive for some people. And so this is where some of the inflation has come from. It's come because you have strong demand. We're not producing things. Goods are scarce. Their price goes up. It's basic economics. And the argument is about whether this increase in price is going to be uh, more long lasting or whether it's short lived. And of course, we got the Fed chairman giving a key speech this week on Friday at Jackson Hole. And we'll see what he has to say about that. Do we have a sense, Bob, of how much the combination of the supply shortages in some cases, the labor shortages in some cases, how much that has hindered the recovery? And is that something that we can recover from, or is that something that is kind of lost at this point? Well, you know, a lost output is lost output. You know, if you have uh, if you have less than full employment, you can never get the work back that somebody didn't do. I mean, that's just a fact. And so this is one reason why economists think it's a good idea to try to run the economy hotter, because if you run it a little bit too hot, you can chase inflation and tamp it back down. 
But any day somebody who could work doesn't work, you can't get the output back. Um, more fundamentally, we're worried about what happens moving ahead, how much of this inflation, how much of these distortions are going to stay with us, and how many are just temporary. And I'm worried that we're now we're learning new habits. And these new habits we're learning with firms raising prices, these are going to become entrenched and we'll wind up because of this having more inflation in the future. That's Bob Brusca, the chief economist at Fact and Opinion Economics in New York. Bob, thanks as always. Coming up, quitting your job the right way. Investing 60 minutes each weekday toward planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Americans are changing jobs at a record pace, and there's a right way and a wrong way to say goodbye to an employer. And we welcome Michelle Reisdorf, a Chicago jobs expert at Robert Half. So, Michelle, what is the right way to leave a job, and what is the wrong way? And it might not be as obvious as it sounds. That is the truth. Well, um, it is definitely a market right now where candidates are out looking. Um, Our most recent stat said 32% of people plan to look for a job just in the next several months, even alone. And we think it's, you know, very critical that people still consider um, the professional way to do so. Um, And first and foremost, we want to make sure that you take the time to talk to your boss first. Um, don't share with coworkers or others. You want to sit down and have that conversation, whether it be in person or virtually, and let them know that you are looking to leave. The other major important point that we want to stress over and over again is please do give notice. It's very important. Um, with so many people out looking for jobs today, you may never know where you will cross paths with your boss again someday in the future. That's especially true in our business here in radio. It seems like we always run into the same people over and over again, but I'm sure that's true in a lot of industries. And Michelle, how much are we hearing about people saying, you know, I'm leaving this job, and then later on they say, you know what, it wasn't so bad, I'd like to go back. You know, uh, we definitely are seeing that. Um, I've recently even seen it in my own office where, you know, uh, six months ago I had someone leave and um, came back and said it's not what I thought it was. And again, goes to the fact of if you're going to leave, make sure you do so very professionally because it keeps that door open in case you made a mistake and you do want to come back. And what other advice do you have for people to make the break a good one, a clean one, a positive one, so that it actually may benefit you down the road, even if you are leaving an employer, uh, that it makes it something that is a positive all the way around? Yeah, I think you hit the keyword um, right on the head, and that is stay positive. You know, even if you're leaving because um, the situation or um, work environment isn't ideal, you don't want to drive that home. Just stay positive about, you know, looking for a better opportunity or bigger opportunity for yourself. And then be very professional about, again, giving that notice, but more so helping with the transition. Hopefully your employer is able to replace your role And you want to make sure that you set up whoever is taking over your role for success as you exit out the door. Because, again, you know, it goes back to what our moms and dads taught us, which is never burn any bridge. You never know when you might, you know, find yourself talking with or working with that person again in the future. That's Michelle Reisdorf, a Chicago jobs expert at Robert Half, which is a great company to go to if you would like some guidance on maybe a new career. Maybe you're not sure What would be right for you next? Do you want to try something? And a firm like Robert Half might be a good option for you. Up next, how to avoid making mistakes when consolidating your debt. 
Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Debt consolidation can be a smart financial move, but it doesn't come without risks. And joining us on the McGrath Lexus business line is Ted Rossman, industry analyst with CreditCards.com out of New York. So, Ted, let's talk about some of the things you need to watch out for if you are considering debt consolidation. Yeah, so first of all, just to clarify what we're talking about here, it's mostly rolling existing debt into a new loan. So we could be talking credit card debt, medical debt, other unsecured debts. Do you want to put it into a personal loan, a 0% balance transfer credit card, a home equity line of credit, 401k loan, uh, maybe contacting a nonprofit credit counselor? These are all some of the options out there, and they all have different pros and cons. But, you know, I think the first thing that you should start with is coming up with a really good plan. So figuring out exactly how much you owe, what are the terms? How long is that loan lasting? What's the interest rate? You want to know what your credit score is. You want to really do some homework on these various options because sometimes debt consolidation is great and it can save you a lot of money. Other times it might actually be getting you in an even deeper hole. So what are some of the mistakes that people are making? You talk about, you know, preparing and knowing what you're getting into and looking for the best plan for you. But what are some of the other things that people are getting wrong, for lack of a better word, in terms of picking the right debt consolidation for them, if that's even the right thing for them to do? Debt settlement is a big mistake, and I don't want to confuse that with debt consolidation. So debt settlement is agreeing to pay less than you owe. And you see all these commercials about, oh, get out of credit card debt for pennies on the dollar. It's a compelling pitch, but it really trashes your credit and it may not even work. So I want to make sure that any sort of debt consolidation is done in a way that's going to help your credit score, not wreck it, and also save you money in the long run. So like a really good example, if you have good credit, is a 0% balance transfer credit card. That could buy you 20 months without having to pay interest. If you can actually make sizable progress during that time, that's a huge win. You don't, though, want to end up with an even bigger balance at the end because then the rate could skyrocket. If you need some help with this, I would suggest contacting a nonprofit credit counselor like Money Management International. They can help you regardless of what your credit score is. They'll negotiate lower rates with your creditors. They can often come up with a plan. Maybe it's a two to five year payback with a six to 10% interest rate, something like that. They can give you helpful advice. That's something if you're wrestling with this and you need some extra help, I would suggest an agency like that. That's Ted Rossman, an industry analyst with creditcards.com out of New York. Ted, great advice as always. Still ahead on Personal Finance Wednesday, dealing with the financial aspects of a post-COVID wedding boom. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink think what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's all-news station. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Which is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Good afternoon. I'm Jim Goodis. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Mayor Lightfoot announces a vaccine mandate for city employees. The U.S. military updates the evacuation effort in Afghanistan. On Personal Finance Wednesday, there's a post COVID wedding boom, and it can be a costly time for the lucky couple, as well as guests and members of the bridal party. Dick Sporting Goods racks up an outstanding quarter. We'll take a closer look at what's driving sales at the retail chain. Right now on Wall Street, the Dow's up 94, the SP 500 ahead by 12, the NASDAQ is up 16. Again, we're expecting to reach a high of 92 this afternoon, but with the humidity, it's going to feel more like it's around 100 to as much as 105. Right now, it's 86 at O'Hare at 1231. It's now official. All City of Chicago employees will be required to be fully vaccinated against the coronavirus. Mayor Lightfoot made the announcement this morning, saying it's the best way to keep everyone in the city safe and healthy. The mandate takes effect October 15th. Fully vaccinated means two weeks past the second shot of a two-dose Pfizer or Moderna vaccine or two weeks after a single dose of the Johnson & Johnson version. U.S. helicopters last night brought about 20 evacuees to the airport in Kabul, the third such mission as many find it hard to get through the airport perimeter and Taliban checkpoints. CBS correspondent Cammie McCormick reports on the continuing evacuation efforts. Flights are leaving every 39 minutes, according to General Hank Taylor, but many are still waiting. There are more than 10,000 people currently at this time at the airport awaiting departure. It's a race against time with the withdrawal date approaching. We will continue to evacuate needed populations 
all the way to the end if, if we have to and we need to. But Pentagon spokesman John Kirby says the focus will shift to getting American troops out. We will have to reserve some capacity in those last couple of days to prioritize the military footprint leaving. Cammie McCormick, CBS News. You can take WBBM anywhere you go by using the Odyssey app, which now also has hundreds of new exclusive music stations for music fans by music fans, only on the Odyssey app. It's 1232. Cashing in with conversation, the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Stocks trading higher, and we're joined by Jack Ablin, the Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital here in Chicago. So, Jack, your take on the markets today. Yeah, uh, Jim. Uh, thank you. Um, I think the market is taking a wait-and-see uh, attitude today. It's certainly uh, incrementally higher, uh, but we've got the Federal Reserve virtual Jackson Hole meeting starting tomorrow. And at least uh, among bond investors, it's widely expected uh, that the Fed will announce their initial tapering plans. Uh, and so all eyes uh, will be on that. Now, of the numbers that we've been seeing of late, earnings numbers, some of the economic numbers, all of that, looking at all of that and also what we're expecting down the road, what are your feelings about the economy and where we're going and what investors need to do to take advantage of that or not necessarily have issues with that if, in fact, uh, they're in a position where maybe some of the things that are coming up in the economy could hurt their portfolio? Sure. So, you know, there, you know, the, the, uh, Obviously, the recovery is great. I mean, it's not without challenges, of course. Uh, this resurgence of the Delta variant has um, hit uh, consumer confidence, business confidence. Um, we're seeing also um, some disappointing growth numbers out of China, which uh, had had really been kind of pulling a lot of the world along, um, you know, going into 2019. So, you know, there are Certainly, there are some issues, no doubt. Um, but I, I think that, um, that, you know, right now, uh, economic growth in the U.S. is still on pretty solid footing. Uh, I'm encouraged by um, uh, businesses willing to invest. Uh, we also um, see that, you know, a lot of companies are still holding, hoarding cash. And I expect they will start um, declaring uh, dividends again and, um, you know, buying back shares as they get a little more visibility into the future. So, Jack, is there anything out there that maybe we're not hearing so much about that might be a good thing for investors to look at right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, there really certainly, Jim, aren't any cheap parts of the market. You know, with interest rates as low as they are and, and um, you know, um, um, valuations uh, in many respects are stretched, I would say the only incremental values at the moment are probably lurking in the emerging world. So um, the, you know, those countries particularly that have not uh, benefited from the vac vaccination programs are probably lagging behind a little bit. Um, and the energy infrastructure, energy complex still, um, at least by historical standards, looks cheap. Uh, but, of course, we've got an infrastructure bill that's going to emphasize um, renewable energy and uh, perhaps, um, you know, investors are, are getting, uh, taking a little caution with the, the fossil fuels. Jack, is this a good time to just kind of sit back and evaluate your portfolio and consider your options and kind of wait to see how things are going to, to make a move? Is that potentially a good strategy for some investors? 
It is. I think that, you know, our bottom line is, look, we can't get the benefit of, you know, ever lower interest rates to help, you know, push uh, equity markets higher. So one of the things that, you know, I need to point out is that over the last 10 years, nearly two thirds to three quarters of the total return investors have enjoyed out of the stock markets have come from valuation expansion, the, the ability, the, the, the willingness for investors to pay more for a given set of earnings. And that was really attributable to lower interest rates. Now, with interest rates either stable or rising slightly, we can no longer rely on that valuation expansion. And so we've got to go back to basics, look at earnings growth, look at dividend yields. And that's where uh, the kind of the nuts and bolts of the, the, the manufacturing and industrial economy really have an uh, edge over high tech, at, at least at this stage. Jack Ablin, the Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital here in Chicago. Jack, always great insight. Up next on Personal Finance Wednesday, making sure a wedding doesn't create a financial hole. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and many weddings were among the events postponed due to the pandemic, with a rush of couples deciding to tie the knot now. And joining us on the McGrath-Lexus business line to talk about the financial aspects of being a wedding guest is Christine Benz, the Director of Personal Finance at Morningstar here in Chicago. So, you know, we often think about how much it costs to get married, but we have to remember that it also costs and can cost quite a bit to be a guest. What's going on and what's making it unique now as we're in this post, well, still pandemic, but as we're emerging from the pandemic world in terms of more weddings? Well, you've got a lot of couples, Jim, who are rushing in to get their weddings in. I think maybe things have been tamped down a little bit in, in the very recent past due to their Delta variant, but there was a lot of pent-up demand, and so uh, many couples are rushing to tie the knot, and so you've got a lot of people who are in that danger zone age band between like age 25 and 35 who might have 10 or more weddings in a given year. It's absolutely insane. And it also can really hurt their budgets. So what's some advice to help people with this? I mean, obviously, I guess it's like anything else. If, if you find yourself with multiple weddings, uh, I imagine that you have to kind of set a budget and a, and a limit or that sort of thing, which is kind of tough because usually when you're invited to a wedding, it's someone you like and, You want to do something nice for them. So what's the best way to keep this in check and reasonable to a degree? I think one of the first tests is just to ask yourself, is this something that I want to be a part of? Am I close to this person? And is it important that I be there? So first, make sure you're clear on that before you even get into setting a budget. You do not have to attend every wedding that you're invited to. But once you've decided to go, a couple of steps that you could take would be to you know, perhaps attend one shower if you're invited, but set the limit on that. Don't attend two or three showers. Plan to rewear some of your outfits, especially if the same people won't be showing up at these same weddings. And then I also like the idea of getting creative about gifts. So you don't want to cheap out. You want to give something special to these people who are special to you. But think about a personalized gift. Etsy has a lot of great personalized items. Sometimes they require a little bit of lead time because they're customized. But be creative. Don't assume that you have to spend a really high amount to give a high-impact gift. Can the wedding registry be your friend here, Christine? 
Absolutely. You can use the wedding registry as a starting point. And oftentimes couples really do want and need those things that they have on their wedding registry. But take a look. You can see and stay within your price point when you're shopping. And the other thing is many couples are opting for multiple venues, multiple wedding registries. So hop around, see which has the most attractive combination of gifts that can help you stay within your budget. Anything else that people can do to kind of keep an eye on things or what maybe a big mistake that people make that, that kind of gets them into a bit of a financial hole? Well, a big mistake is letting letting a lot of wedding events sink your own personal finances. This is a life stage when people are really getting their financial lives off the ground where they are planning their own futures, maybe paying for for their own educations or saving for home down payments. Really try to keep those goals front and center and don't let wedding attendance derail your own goals that you're saving for. Keep that first and foremost in your mind. That's Christine Benz, the Director of Personal Finance at Morningstar here in Chicago. Great tips, Christine. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, Dix raises its forecast after the Sporting Goods seller posts an impressive second quarter. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Dick's Sporting Goods is one of the retailers that's done well during the pandemic. The company posted a more than 20% rise in sales during the second quarter, and we're joined by Gerald Storch, the CEO of Storch Advisors and former vice president, or rather vice chairman at Target, and chairman and CEO of Toys R Us in Vero Beach, Florida. So, Jerry, why is Dick's doing so well? You know, a rising tide floats all boats, but Dick is doing especially well because during the pandemic, a lot of people are at home where they're supposed to be working, but we know they're not working all the time. And so we've seen a big increase in athletic uh, gear in general during this period. And also, Dick sells a lot of clothing. And the kind of clothing that they sell is more casual, and that's what people are wearing when they work from home. So this has very much been a pandemic uh, play. Dick's was a good performer before, but but pandemic conditions are ideal for both the apparel and the sporting goods they sell. So all the apparel has done great during this period, but they have been a standout winner. So, Jerry, in in some of these areas, where are we seeing, as you mentioned, you know, that this is sort of a pandemic play? And where are there other areas where where are we seeing that this isn't going to necessarily fade away as we kind of transition back into less pandemic and more of whatever the new normal is? Well, I think that's a really good question. Uh, you know, what we are seeing is that, you know, restaurant sales are doing a lot better than they were before. Grocery stores are a little softer, but it still seems like grocery stores have suddenly been rediscovered by America. I think some of that cooking from home is going to stick, and so we're going to see an ongoing increase there. The other place is in the building materials sector, like Home Depot and Lowe's. They keep reporting just amazing numbers on top of amazing numbers as Americans turn more inward towards their homes. And I think that's going to last it could be a generation. You know the way they always say that the Great Depression changed everyone's views towards conserving money? I think the pandemic changed everyone's views towards their homes, and we care a lot more about them. And we think, you know, you never know. We're going to have to spend a whole year locked inside. Now, you talked about some of the factors that led to Dick's doing well. Was there anything specifically that Dick's did that helped it attract these customers and get these increases? Look, they've been doing things well for a very long time. And uh, the... the uh, you know, they've been focusing on their own label products a lot. They have some very strong brands in, uh, in, as well in, the, in apparel. You know, people like Nike, they're just big, 
thumping winter. So uh, uh, it, we think of dicks, we all think of sporting goods equipment. And of course, that's all doing well, but really it's an apparel store masquerading as a sporting goods store. And so that's where the strength has been. And uh, they're right there. They're, you know, it's generational, too, that people have shifted away from more formal clothes towards more casual. That has nothing to do with the pandemic. It's just that, that people are becoming more casual. They're not wearing ties to work anymore, that kind of thing. So Dix has been at the center of that. And they've leveraged it a lot through their own label products, like I said, and by partnering with the hot brands. That's Gerald Storch, the CEO of Storch Advisors, the former vice chairman at Target, and chairman and CEO of Toys R Us out of Vero Beach, Florida. Jerry, thanks as always. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.